The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. This Sunday is sometimes called Shepherd Sunday. And for good reason, because of these texts that you have heard and sung. And also, I think, because every now and then we need to be reminded of this image of the Good Shepherd and the Shepherd's flock. There's perhaps no more significant text in all of Scripture in terms of what people rely on and what they turn to in time of trouble than Psalm 23. And I think perhaps a reason for that is because as children, it's maybe one of the earliest things that we connect with in terms of Scripture. Now, I must confess that I have sort of a love-hate relationship with sheep, which goes back to the time when I was very small. And there was one particular sheep by the name of Martha, who had the most wonderful lamb that I wanted to be near all the time. And Martha was intent on not letting me anywhere near that lamb. She would butt me. And my grandmother, who was often close by with sometimes a bushel basket, if she had been out feeding, she would put it between me and Martha. So I always think of Martha, there are sheep among us that we need to be very careful of. (laughs) There are other kinds of Marthas as well. (laughs) You would have been delighted to have been with your vestry a couple of weeks ago as we went down to the uh, Undercroft and sat around on the floor in the godly play area while we received the presentation of the story of the Good Shepherd. And it was amazing. Here are these adults, some of us older than others, sitting on the floor, gathered around in a circle, and being absolutely captivated by the telling of that story and by its implications for us, even today, us who have grown old and in some ways a bit skeptical, perhaps. We were drawn into that story. We started to see anew the Good Shepherd and what the Good Shepherd might mean for us. Well, one of the things that we need to be careful of with images such as that of the Good Shepherd is not to just uh, idealize it, not just to set it up on a shelf and say how beautiful it is, 
But to truly understand it, and to understand what it might mean for us, for the church, I think because it's so familiar, we sometimes lose the deeper meanings that are within it. And I think the gospel today, in particular, pushes us towards some of those more difficult understandings. First, we need to be clear about the meaning of this allegory. The story of the Good Shepherd is not about a congregation and a pastor. There is only one Good Shepherd, and that is Jesus the Christ. There are congregations that, that are a part of that flock, and there are clergy that are also a part of the flock, but there is only one Good Shepherd. I think that's very important to keep in mind. It, it's amazing how the terms we use for clergy can lead us astray. To call a priest father raises all sorts of images of a relationship between father and children that don't necessarily work in the church. To call a minister pastor also tends to put the minister at the center of the flock, like the good shepherd. And that, too, does not work. It's very important for us to be clear. There is only one good shepherd, and that is Jesus, the Christ. The next thing I think that's important to know and to remember is that Jesus was speaking to Jews. And he was speaking to people who were temple authorities, some of them, but people of his own time and understanding. So as he was saying these words, those listening to him would have been reminded of Psalm 23 because they would have been very familiar with the Psalms. And they would perhaps also recall Ezekiel and other uh, times that they've heard God described as the Good Shepherd. But here it is, Jesus, saying that he is the good shepherd. And in John, it says, it goes on to say that they thought that he was perhaps possessed by a demon or out of his mind. Why would he consider himself the good shepherd? Of course, there were two other possibilities. He could have known clearly what he was saying and was blaspheming. Or he could have been declaring a new truth, which is what we believe. This image of the Good Shepherd would have been vivid to anyone living in the first century in Palestine. And they would have had a clear understanding of what it was to be a shepherd. It wasn't easy to be a shepherd. Shepherds lived with the sheep out on the hillside. Often they had just a little bag that they carried their food in. And they'd have a slingshot to protect themselves and also a staff and a crook. And the staff, of course, was another form of protection for them. And that shepherd's hook, of course, was to get those sheep who were going astray and pull them back into the flock. They would have understood the life of a shepherd and what it was to be one. There was a story about uh, someone who had seen a shepherd, a couple of shepherds, gathering their flocks in a, in a, a cave near Bethlehem. And they were going to spend the night in that cave. And the person who saw the, the sheep being gathered together, these two separate flocks coming together in one cave, wondered, how will the shepherds ever sort out these sheep? Well, the next morning, one of the shepherds went off a distance and started to call in his unique call. And all of his sheep came to him. And the other sheep were with the other shepherd. This is one of the characteristics that we also see in this scripture is that the shepherd knows the sheep, and the sheep know the shepherd's voice. How is it that we know the shepherd's voice? We're called to hear the shepherd's voice, I think, in a couple of ways. 
first of all, in prayer. To enter into prayer and open ourselves up to the voice of God. To hear God speaking to us, nudging us, leading us in particular directions. But we also hear the shepherd's voice when we gather in community. And we hear that voice, often in the voice of another who is in the community. The sheep know the shepherd's voice. There's another thing about shepherds and sheep. In Palestine, it was the custom to keep the sheep for an extended period of time. They apparently didn't use them as much for meat as they did for wool and for milk. So you can imagine that over time, the shepherds became very close to their sheep and named each of them. And we hear that too in this scripture, that the shepherd knows the sheep by name. One of the things that is surprising to me in a way is that as individualistic as we are in our culture, we find it very difficult to believe that God could know us, that God could know us as individuals, even as individuals with a particular name. But this scripture points us to that, that the God that we worship is a God who cares about each one of us. Each one of us, even to the point of knowing us by name. That is the God that we worship. I think it's also important to understand, and perhaps this is, I think, the most important understanding, is that the sheep are gathered as a flock. We don't often hear sheep addressed as individual sheep. We hear of sheep gathered together as a flock. It's extremely important, I think, that we see in this scripture and in the 23rd Psalm as well that God is opening up to us an understanding of the relationship between Christ and the church. The church is the flock gathered. And it is so important that we understand that that is what it is to be a Christian. There are many religions that can be practiced individually, off by oneself, under a tree someplace. But that's not the case with Christianity. Christianity is lived out in community. Now, sometimes that's very, very difficult. <laughs> I recall uh, being with my spiritual director when I was in South Dakota. I, was, I had been troubled with the way that this is going to sound very trite. <laughs> troubled with the way that we had been doing morning prayer at the cathedral <laughs> on weekdays. And we would gather together, the staff of the bishop's office and the cathedral staff, and we would have morning prayer together, uh, usually about 8.30 in the morning. And it was a wonderful time to be together. But it wasn't the way that I wanted to do morning prayer. <laughs> so I talked with my spiritual director, and I was complaining about this and giving her specifics of what was wrong with it. And she said, you know, I feel the same way about prayer in my community. And she was, she was a nun in a wonderful religious community. But she said, the reality is that we live in community. And sometimes that means that we bend with the community. And we have to give up what it is that we think is so important. Because the community has established a standard or a way of being that we are being called to conform to. And that too is a part of our Christian practice. We are near the end of a project that has gone on now months and has engaged a lot of people. And that is the development of this master plan. And along the way, we have had our disagreements. There have been different perspectives about how things should be done.
There are some things that can be compromised. There are other things that it's really either or, and somebody needs to decide which it will be. Through all of that, at least up to this point, we have been able to stay together as a community, to have our differences, and to live into those differences, testing them out, trying to see where it is that God is leading us, and letting those decisions kind of rest for a while to see if they're really the things that we're called to. As we go forward over time, we will be challenged again and again as a community. And I think it's so important for us to recognize that the value of us as a parish, as a congregation, really depends upon how we deal with differences, how we deal with disagreements, and how it is that we can disagree with one another, but still be in community with one another. Now, I thank God that my experience of this particular community has been very, very positive. I have seen people over and over again express clearly their views. And when the, the community went in a different direction, they were there. They stuck with it. I hope that will continue to be a characteristic of who we are. Because I believe we must never lose sight of this image that God has given us of the Good Shepherd. And around that Good Shepherd is the flock gathered in community. God has called us as a community, unique unto ourselves. There's, there's no other congregation in this world that is like Trinity Concord. We are truly unique. And we have a unique mission as well. And God is calling us to live into that mission. My prayer is that we will always listen for the voice of the Good Shepherd. That we will recognize that the Good Shepherd cares about us as a community. And that the Good Shepherd will, even as he says, lay down his life for us. And that's not a statement so much about our salvation as it is about the love of Christ and who he is to voluntarily lay down his life for us. So I give thanks this day that we have this image of the Good Shepherd to hold in front of us, to always have there, to see that Christ is at the center. And we are gathered round. May we all, always hear his voice and respond to his call. Amen. Amen.